What's going on, New York Giant fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast. If you guys haven't already, like, comment, and subscribe. Turn on post notifications so you know when a live stream pops, video drops. Appreciate y'all coming back. Hope you guys had a Merry Christmas, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Festivus, whatever you guys celebrate. Hope you guys had a good holiday. Obviously, we got New Year's coming up. And on New Year's Day, I will actually be having a podcast episode coming out, likely. I mean, if it doesn't end up like the Christmas episode again, because what was supposed to happen is I was supposed to do a regularly scheduled, hey, let's do a Saturday 12.30 p.m. premiere. But I stayed up on Christmas morning till about 3, 4 in the morning recording, and OBS never saved it. And I tried looking for him, like, where the hell could this be? And then I came to the conclusion that it eventually did not save. So I'm like, shit, you know what? I got to get up early anyway. Let me go to sleep. So that was a story with that. I apologize for not putting the podcast episode out. But we're a few hours away from the game. So it's going to be an interesting game. It's going to be an interesting game. Jake Fromm gets his first start. Nick Sirianni's back on the sidelines. Second week in a row that Jalen Hurts is back playing again. A lot of things are in contention here, not really for the Giants, but there's going to be a lot of that disgust and hate still boiling from last year, and the Eagles are trying to make a playoff run, and the Giants are worse than them, so they would like to be the spoilers. They would like to take both games, and I don't root for tanking, not at all, but... With that being said, there are people out there that, you know, want to root for tanking, want to root for draft picks. Whatever you want to do, do what you want to do. I, I disagree with the whole mentality. But this is one of the games, in my opinion, where you cannot root for draft picks. This is the all-time record at stake. I believe they lead 88-86 or 87-86, something like that. It's one, so it's 88-87, 87-86, something like that. So if we win today, Giants have a chance to tie the all-time record, which will be great because we lost that back in 2018 when we lost to Philly twice. So there is that. Um, with that being said, let's go over the injury report, and we'll do our usual things, and we'll talk about the infamous article at the end. So for the New York Giants, Ben Bredesen is out with an ankle injury. Gary Brightwell is out with a neck injury. And Colin Johnson is out with the hamstring injury. This is going to be really interesting because Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton, and Farrah Cooper are likely the only healthy wide receivers. All tight ends are expected to be healthy, Myrick, Ingram, and Cal Rudolph. But not having more than four receivers, it's, it's a little weird. I'm sorry if there's any background noise. There might be a phone ringing in the background for all I know. But with that being said, having a low count on your receivers is not a great thing. And we'll see what happens. Maybe by this time they activate Alex Bachman to the active roster. I don't think Kadarius Tony is playing. He is questionable because of the COVID ramp-up period. And he's still somewhat dealing with the oblique injury. So I don't think he'll play, but he is questionable. J.R. Reed and O'Shane Zimenez are questionable. Part of the ramp-up period as well. And... Austin Johnson is questionable with a foot injury. He went last week. I expect him to go today. For the Eagles, they had about 
five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten players in the injury report this week. All of them are going to play. In terms of practice squad protections, the Giants protected Evan Bame, the former Miami Dolphin, former Indianapolis Colt. They protected Farrell Cooper, defensive lineman David Moa, and wide receiver Alex Bachman. In terms of the Eagles practice squad protections, they protected offensive guard Coyote Awasika, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, defensive back Jared Maiden, and defensive back Mac McLean. So let's get into the rankings here. I'll go Giants, and then I'll go with the Eagles. I'm not doing positional matchups. I'll probably do that next week with the Bears because we've seen the Eagles already. Like last week where we've seen the Cowboys already, you know, we know what the positional matchups are. I'm not going to do it again this week. We'll do it next week for the final time this year. For the New York Giants, they rank 27th, and I'm talking offense. Then I go defense. They rank 27th in total yards per game. They rank 20th in passing offense, 26th in rushing offense, and 30th in points per game. In terms of the defensive side of the ball, they rank 25th in total yards per game, 19th in passing defense, 26th in rushing defense, and 21st in points per game. Now the Eagles, they've gotten better as a team. They have played two crappy teams. One is trying to make a playoff run. One is rebuilding Jets and Washington football team. But their ranks were middle of the pack when we faced them about three, four weeks ago. And then they're starting to rise again into the tens, into the top ten. So they are getting better as a team. With that being said, though, let's actually prove it. Let's show the statistics and stuff like that. In total yards per game, they are 12th. They're 23rd in passing offense. That's not because, oh, Jalen Hurts doesn't know how to throw the ball. They just elect to pass the ball more than, excuse me, they elect to pass the ball. They elect to run the ball more than anybody else in the NFL, which we'll get to that. They are first in rushing offense, so that's something the Giants really have to be careful of. And they are 11th at points per game in terms of the defensive side of the ball. All middle of the pack stats. Pretty good stats. Top 15, top 16. 10th in total yards per game. 11th in passing defense. 10th in rushing defense. And 16th in points per game. Now, things to look for, players to watch. We're going to give a refresher. And then since then, the last two games they've played since they versed us. Obviously, Jets and Washington. Obviously, Jalen Hurts didn't play against the Jets, but... Once again, we'll go over everybody else's stats from that game and from the Washington game, at least the important ones. But against the Giants last time, Jalen Hurts did not have a good day. 14 completions on 31 attempts, 129 yards and three interceptions. So Patrick Graham made him look silly. And I think that they're going to learn from that. I don't think they're going to pass the ball as much. 31 times is a lot for Jalen Hurts. And I just feel like they intended on passing it way too much for a guy like Jalen Hurts. If it was Baker Mayfield or if it was Ben Roethlisberger in his earlier years, I could understand, but I think they'll learn from it. We'll see what happens, though. In terms of the Philadelphia rushing game, Jalen Hurts led the pack. Eight carries, 77 yards. Boston Scott had 15 carries for 64 yards. He did have a fumble, though. He also had a touchdown. That fumble was forced by Dexter Lawrence at the end of the game. But they got the ball back because Joe Judge played the prevent offense. With that being said, Miles Sanders had nine rushes for 64 yards, about 7.1 yards per carry. And then the receiving game, not too much. It was a bit of a spread-out game for the receivers. And it was only 14 completions. So Kenneth Gainwell had the chunk of... Receptions and yards, three receptions, 32 yards. Jalen Rager was the second leading receiver. He had the most targets on the team with seven. Dallas Goddard only had one reception for no yards. And 
total of three targets. So he didn't really have his best game against the New York Giants. And in the past, tight ends really used to wreak havoc on the New York Giants. And if they can't cover him this game, especially the last two games that he's been having, it's going to be a very long day. But let's go to the Jets game. Then we'll talk about the Washington football team game. Then we'll go over overall stats and move on from there. So I don't need to present Gardner Minshew's stats because he's likely not playing unless anything unforeseen comes up. Miles Sanders had 24 rushes for 120 yards, and Kenneth Gainwell had 12 rushes for 54 yards and a touchdown. Miles Sanders had 5 yards per carry. <coughs> Excuse me. And Kenneth Gainwell had 4.5 yards per carry. I think Boston Scott may have been out that week or was just benched for fumbling. With that being said, in the Philadelphia receiving game, Dallas Goddard had six receptions, 105 yards, and two touchdowns on six targets, so he had 100% catch rate. Wes Watkins had three receptions for 60 yards. Kenneth Gainwell had five receptions for 33 yards, so he's more that receiving back. And then Miles Sanders, Devonta Smith, and Jalen Ragor caught a couple passes. In terms of the defensive side of the ball, TJ Edwards had 11 tackles. Javon Hargrave had a... Half a sack and three quarterback hits. And then Josh Sweat had one and a half sacks, two quarterback hits, and tackles for a loss. I should say one tackle for a loss. And then Zach Wilson also got picked off. I forget who was by, so that's my mistake. With that being said, against the Washington football team, Jalen Hurts performed a lot better. He did have two turnovers, though. One was a fumble, and one was a weird interception. I think he may have threw it behind Goddard, or Goddard dropped the ball, and it went off Goddard's heel, and it was intercepted by Landon Collins. But overall, Jalen Hurts was 20 for 26, 296 yards, a touchdown and an interception. In terms of the Philadelphia rushing game, Miles Sanders had another day, 18 rushes, 131 yards, 7.3 yards per carry. He had a big 38-yard run. Jordan Howard had 15 rushes for 69 yards, about 4.6 yards per carry. And then Jalen Hurts had eight rushes, for 38 yards, two touchdowns, both on quarterback sneaks, and 4.8 yards per carry. He had one lost fumble, as I mentioned. And then I was talking about Dallas Goddard. Seven receptions, 135 yards, no touchdowns. Surprisingly, Greg Ward caught the only passing touchdown. Jalen Rager had three receptions for 57 yards. Devonta Smith had three receptions. Greg Ward had two catches and then goes down the list. Fletcher Clock, Fletcher Clocks. I can't talk today. Fletcher Cox had two sacks, a tackle for loss, and four quarterback hits. Now, on the year, the Eagles are last in pass rate, but they are first in run rate, and they're 31st in pass rate on first down. I believe the Indianapolis Colts are the only ones that are below them, and then they are first in run rate on first down. So let's take a look at the overall stats on the season. Then we'll go to questions to answer, keys to win, and so on and so forth. Jalen Hurts on the season has a completion percentage of 61.3, so he gets it done. It's not great in terms of completion percentage, but anything better than Mike Lennon or some of the quarterbacks that we have. 2,731 yards, 7.2 per throw, 266.5 yards per game, which isn't bad for a rushing quarterback like him without the rushing yards. 14 touchdowns, 9 interceptions. You take a look at the Rushing game, he is the leading rusher with 733 yards on 130 attempts, 5.6 yards per carry. 
Total of 10 touchdowns, one fumble lost this season. That was against the football team, four fumbles total this year, and 56.4 yards per game in the rushing game. Miles Sanders is right behind him, 130 attempts, 709 yards, 5.5 yards per carry. No touchdowns, but he did lose a fumble this season, about 64.5 yards per game. Jordan Howard, 66 attempts, 343 yards, 5.2 yards per carry, three touchdowns, 68.6 yards per game, no fumbles. Boston Scott, obviously the lost fumble against the New York Giants, but he's had 61 attempts, 285 yards, 4.7 yards per carry, four touchdowns, and 20.4 yards per game. And then Kenneth Gainwell factors in there as well. 55 rushes, 209 yards, 3.8 yards per carry, four touchdowns, 16.1 yards per game. He also has a fumble this season. Take a look at the receiving game is razor thin in terms of yardage between Dallas Goddard and Devonta Smith. Devonta Smith is actually the leading receiver, but the last couple games he really hasn't gotten in that much compared to Dallas Goddard in terms of attention span. Or not attention span, but he's given Dallas Goddard's been getting more attention in the receiving game. Um Devonta Smith has 53 receptions, 741 yards, and four touchdowns. Dallas Goddard has the same amount of touchdowns, 48 receptions, 731 yards. Devonta Smith has one fumble in the season. Dallas Goddard has more yards per game than Devonta Smith and Quez Watkins and Jalen Rager and Kenneth Gainwell factor in. Once again, they don't pass the ball a ton, so you kind of have to expect they only have so many leading receivers that are just there because... I think Zach Ertz is their sixth leading receiver, and he's in Arizona right now, which tells you they either pass to their guys a lot, like Gainwell and Smith and Goddard, or they just don't pass it a ton, which I will stick with the latter. In terms of the defensive side of the ball, Javon Hargrave is the leading sacker, seven and a half sacks on the season, eight tackles for a loss, and then Josh Sweat and Fletcher Cox factor in, and then you got the rotational defensive lineman, I guess, Hassan Ridgeway, Derek Barnett, Terrence Jackson, and Milton Williams. In terms of questions to answer, we'll do three on offense, three on defense. Who is Fromm's leading receiver? And some of these are basic. Some of these are actually you have to think about. Who is Fromm's leading receiver? Is it going to be Cooper? Is it going to be Galladay? Is it going to be Ingram? Is it going to be Slayton? Is it going to be possibly Alex Bachman? I think it's going to be either Galladay or Slayton because those two were targeted a few times more than anyone else in that one drive where Jake Fromm was 6 for 12 for 82 yards on the vinyl drive. And Ingram wasn't targeted much. Farrah Cooper was, I believe, targeted once or twice. Number two, who is the leading rusher? Barkley, Booker, perhaps Fromm. I think it's going to be Booker. I think he's a little bit more efficient. He's not the dancing type. And with the way that the Giants rushing offense looks like and in terms of the way the offensive line blocks and how they block and the production when they block is is not great but against bad rushing defenses they do good and that's the only time they could have success against the Raiders they had success against the Chargers they had success so there's that number three which side does better the run of the pass I think it's going to be a sloppy game whether the Giants get a touchdown or not but I think it's going to be the passing game that is more productive than the running game. Honorable mention, if Kadarius Tony does play, by surprise, is he Fromm's quick game security blanket? Sterling Shepard towards Achilles last week. Hope he's doing well in recovery. With that being said, though, he did target, meaning Jake Fromm, he did target Sterling Shepard a few times in the passing game on that final drive. So I do expect if Kadarius Tony was to play, would they have a 
pitch count for him or not. I do expect there to be a couple of targets there just in case Galladay's not open, Slayton's not open, something's not there. He goes down to Kadarius Tony, and Tony tries to make a couple of people miss. In terms of the defensive side of the ball, now this guy, he was criticized, and I didn't see the video or anything like that, but apparently he was criticized and apparently celebrated with the Cowboys after their win against us, and he's on our team. I'm going to ignore that for right now. Hopefully that's not true. If it is true, shame on you, Jalen Smith. But will Jalen Smith be a key player against the run? He is one player that I'm definitely going to watch this game. And obviously a lot of Giant fans are talking about, oh, we need linebacker next season, Blake Martinez, blah, 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 blah. If you have a linebacking core of Blake Martinez, Tate Crowder, Benedrick McKinney, and Jalen Smith in no order, I think that's a decent linebacking core plus a draft pick. And... Jalen Smith showed me some things against the Cowboys, no tackles for a loss or anything special like that, but he was making tackles, more tackles, and he had more capabilities in the running game and in the passing game than Reggie Ragland does, and he's still playing more than Jalen Smith. So hopefully as these next three games go on, we see less of Reggie Ragland and we see more of Jalen Smith because hopefully... Hopefully, if Jalen Smith plays well, he can get a flyer for next year, compete in camp, do whatever. Number two, does Jalen Hurts test Jaron Williams in coverage, man, or zone? I think he's going to test him in coverage, but at the same time, I don't think they're going to be as pass-heavy as they were the last time. They tried passing it 31 times, which, once again, was a weird game plan, knowing that the Giants were just downright terrible, and they still are terrible in the running game. But with that being said, he probably will test Jay, uh, Jalen Hurts. He will test Jaron Williams a couple of times. And number three, can this defense create at least one turnover? That was the big thing last time, four turnovers. Unfortunately, the Giants' offense did not actually take advantage of those turnovers. They scored no points off turnovers. Once again, very sad because that's the state of the offense, play execution, play calling, whatever you want to blame it on. But the defense stepped in the last time and saved the Giants' ass a shit ton. So they have to create at least one turnover, but it's for the offense to go in there and take advantage. So keys to win. Number one, you have to neutralize the running game. This is the first best rushing offense in the NFL. Jalen Hurts, Miles Sanders, Jordan Howard, whoever plays is going to rush the ball well. It's up to the Giants to stop it. Obviously, we know up the middle they could stop it, but in terms of the sides, I don't want Reggie Ragland out there. I'd rather it be Tate Crowder. Better yet, Bernard McKinney or Jalen Smith because they're two experienced linebackers. Tate Crowder's still trying to figure it out, and I just don't think at times he's been good this year. So neutralize the run, but get Jalen Smith and Bernard McKinney heavily involved. Number two, get something going on offense, whether it's in the running game or in the passing game. Go to Galladay, go to Ingram, go to whoever. Go to Slayton if you have to. Got to get something going on offense. Can't be like the last time because I know that the Eagles, in my opinion, will score more points than they did the last time. They failed on a couple of opportunities and stuff like that. And they passed probably more than they should have ran. I understand there's 31 passing attempts the last time, 33 rushing attempts the last time as well. But some of those rushes that Jalen Hurts had, well, they're not all designed. Some of them was escaping the pocket. So, yeah, you can consider it passing attempts. But I don't think they're going to do that this time. I think they're going to run it more than they pass it. And that's where the Giants have to step in 
and create some turnovers, which is key number three. You have to create some turnovers, get the ball out, um, intercept a few passes. If Jalen Hurts throws a weird throw or he's not accurate with something, you got to go out there and just create turnovers however you can and give your offense a chance. And then we could sit back and say, well, the offense didn't do this. Then you could blame the offense. And we could go forward next week against the Bears, knowing what the Giants have to do the next two weeks of the season, whatever the case is. But you have to create turnovers. The Giants have had one turnover in three games since they last faced Philly. So uh, there's that. Score prediction. I think the Giants are going to lose... It's unfortunate that I'm going to say that, but I don't think they're necessarily prepared for this game. I know Sirianni's back on the sidelines. I think they're going to rush it more. I just don't think the Giants are going to be ready. They will give up 17 points, in my opinion. The final score prediction I have is 17-9. to I think the Giants will play the bend but don't break defense, but I don't think the offense is going to get it done, whether it be from maybe being inaccurate, the offensive line not blocking, no running game to support Jake from, whatever the case may be, I just don't think that the offense is going to get it done, and it's not going to help the defense, who may be out there for a while because of the bend but don't break mentality, plus the inefficiencies on offense. So there's that. Now, for the final segment on today's podcast episode let's talk about the infamous article i'm gonna take a sip real quick and then we can go into it so a few days ago some guy named tyler dunn created an article wrote an article that was based off an interview with a few scouts or one scout former scout from the giants organization I don't know when they served. Obviously, it's anonymous. And one thing I will say is that I do not read articles with fucking paywalls. When I had my own website, and I know a lot of people that have their own website, I don't do paywalls. They don't do paywalls because paywalls are bullshit. It's just, oh, you know, this is a really juicy article, but you have to pay for it. $8 a month. No, I don't do that at all. So if somebody gets me with a paywall, paywall comes up. I'm not reading your article. Sorry. I don't know how important it is. I don't care how important it is. But with that being said, there's a lot of people on Twitter who actually had the balls to go out there and pay for it or whatever they did. They took screenshots, and that's where my takeaways from this article are going to come from. Basically, the gist of this article is basically representing the inefficiencies, the dysfunction with the Giants front office, Dave Gettleman, and... Some of the stuff that's been going on the last couple of years, John Mara, Chris Mara, Chris Pettit, whoever these guys are, and it just really shows the discrepancies with this organization, and it's a family fuck-up. It's a family fuck-up. It's nepotism, and it's not a good thing, especially when your organization can't be functioning correctly. So let's start out with this one. DeAndre Baker was a handful to teammates. He was described as lazy. Pat Shermer wanted to pick him, but Dave Gettleman did not. However, he did cave into trading up for him. Apparently, one of their Midwest scouts at the time, I don't know if he's one of their scouts now, excuse me, Southeast scout, Marcus Cooper, was detailing the Giants' With a lot of issues that DeAndre Baker had. Now, one of the issues that we've heard before is that he was sleeping in team meetings. Pre-draft, obviously. And that 
sometimes you would have to really kick him in the ass for him to actually perform. Obviously, we all know how that ended. But there were times where Cooper would call him or try to FaceTime him for something related to the draft, and he would just not answer the phone. So, Dave Gettleman wanted to stay away from that, and Pat Shermer said, listen, we need a cornerback. Let's take him, and I could fix him up. And Dave Gettleman said, okay, but I don't want to hear, oh, he's not doing this, that, and the third. So, Dave Gettleman had a right at the time to be very concerned, and Pat Shermer obviously didn't really take care of the situation because DeAndre Baker apparently didn't know much of the scheme a couple of weeks in. He was having trouble with it, plus the fact that he was just downright fucking terrible. And Pat Shermer called out DeAndre Baker in front of the other teammates, like the one play against the Jets where it was a crossing route to Jamison Crowder that either was a touchdown or was almost a touchdown. Baker was trailing Crowder over the middle, and he just kept jogging. He wasn't running. He was jogging. And Pat Shermer called him out on that in front of his teammates, and his teammates obviously, according to this article, did not like DeAndre Baker. And now he's with Kansas City in that situation. So he probably would have been gone from the New York Giants sooner than later, but it was a bad draft pick. Dave Gettleman should not have caved into trading up for him. Then again, you had Greedy Williams in your lap, but with that being said, Greedy Williams has been injured a lot in his Browns tenure so far. Apparently, many people didn't like Dave Gettleman in Denver, which included an after party where Dave Gettleman left and I think went to the Giants or went somewhere. And they threw a party because he was gone. So that doesn't really tell me much of anything. We know the personality of Dave Gettleman. He could be arrogant at times. He could be real, real cocky. But sometimes you do need that to... Boost yourself up, boost your team up, whatever the case may be. Josh Norman, Steve Smith, and D'Angelo Williams called him a snake. So, Steve Smith, I don't know what to make of that situation. To be honest, I don't know too much about it. I think he was towards the end of his career, and if you look at all these players, I think you could say the same thing. Now, obviously, he cut Josh Norman after the 2015 season. Josh Norman went to Washington. D'Angelo Williams, in his last year with the Panthers in 2014, I read up on it. He was injured a lot. He only started about six games as one of the backup running backs. So he was injury-prone that year, and Dave Gettleman got rid of him. Dave Gettleman got rid of Steve Smith. He got rid of Josh Norman. In that case, I guess I had to do something with the contract just because, well, he cut them. And you're going to have that at times where a general manager is not going to like the players. The player won't like the GM. But... Is what it is. Dave Gettleman was unsure about his thoughts on Daniel Jones, kept cards to himself, and still drafted him at six overall. So, the way it's described in this article is weird. Because they say either that he kept the cards to himself, kept his thoughts to himself, or he didn't do a proper evaluation before, him ta uh, before he took Daniel Jones six overall. Which prompts this. Did they draft him because they thought he was another Eli clone or because David Cutcliffe developed him at Duke? I mean, if that's the way he was drafted and that's the process and that's what went on, it's not a good process. Because if you don't do scouting on somebody and you think you have to take a quarterback just because he might be Eli Manning 2.0, I mean, 
the draft is already a crapshoot, so why are you making it even more of a crapshoot, especially at sixth overall? So I would see the point that Dave Gettleman would keep his thoughts to himself rather than the other scouts, but obviously it has not worked out to this point. Giants brass from 2015 to 2018 had mixed reviews on Eli Manning. John Mara hated Eli's performance on game days, but still stuck to the fact that it was, quote, Eli's team. From what I read in the article, there were a couple of scouts that said the following. They said that in 2015, when the defense was super horrible and the offense was top 10, Eli Manning was the reason for those wins because he kept them competitive in games and the defense always blew the opportunities. So there was that side of the argument. Then when Ben McAdoo took over, the other scouts on the other side of the argument said, Eli Manning isn't doing anything. The offense is ranked in the 20s, and the defense is really what's pushing us to win 11 games. So there's that. And John Mara apparently said on repeated game days or during Eli's performances or afterwards, oh, get this guy out of here. I want him replaced right now. And then he would come to the realization emotionally because Wellington Mara's, or at least one of his final picks was Eli Manning, he would come to the realization that this is, quote, Eli's team. So obviously there's a lot of faith or was a lot of faith in Eli Manning leading up to 2018-2019. Steve Devine, Midwest scout, had his eye on Quentin Nelson in 2018. Marin Gettleman and the other scouts still love Barkley, and apparently a few scouts love Nick Chubb too. So there's a lot of missing context in this article because the scouts that are somewhat saying these reports, they may not be super reliable. And I'm not talking about, oh, the possibilities that maybe Mark Ross. What if these scouts were a part of the garbage that the Giants have been the last couple of years in the scouting department. Maybe they wanted Saquon Barkley. Maybe they wanted Evan Ingram in 2017 and wanted to pass up on Ryan Ramchek and TJ Watt. Maybe they wanted Daniel Jones or somebody worse in 2019. Maybe they wanted Dwayne Haskins. So there's a lot of things that we don't know about in terms of the reputation of these scouts that we're supposedly hearing things from. And when I say that, when I'm talking about this Steve Devine character, yeah, he had his eye on Quentin Nelson, but that's one person in the front office. That's one person in the scouting department. And apparently a few scouts love Nick Chubb too. In my opinion, some of that is 2020 hindsight Madden because... The perfect situation for the Giants would be take Nick Chubb in the second round, who's working off the Cleveland Browns, and Quentin Nelson, who, you know, is working out right now despite being on the COVID list for the Indianapolis Colts. And I know a lot of people would have been pissed at the time because you don't take a guard, supposedly a two overall. With that being said, it just sounds like perfect hindsight. And yeah, you could love Nick Chubb, you could love Quentin Nelson or whoever, but you could still... I don't know, feel good about players that really turned out poorly. Like, perhaps maybe a scout that wanted Nick Chubb or something like that wanted Baker Mayfield too. Maybe they wanted Dwayne Haskins in 2019. There's a lot of unknowns about these scouts' reputations. So there's that. Two scouts with different thoughts on Russell Wilson, New York Giants. One says he wants to grow his brand. One said, nah, he's never coming to New York. So there's that. That's going to be another topic this offseason. Kevin Abrams and Dave Gettleman fired two longtime scouts in 2020. 
And I'll say this. A lot of people have been saying, oh, I miss Jerry Reese. I don't miss Jerry Reese. I'm going to say this, and it might piss some people off. I don't like Dave Gettleman as a general manager. I don't like Joe Judge as a head coach. Their process, however, in terms of drafting and evaluating some talent, is better, way better than Jerry Reese and Ben McAdoo and whoever was in charge of that bullshit, Mark Ross. Because, yeah, some of these players haven't worked out the last couple of years. Saquon Barkley hasn't worked out. Will Hernandez hasn't worked out. They're capable backups on other teams. Lorenzo Carter may work somewhere like Baltimore. O'Shane Zimenez, possibly the same thing. B.J. Hill's working for the Cincinnati Bengals right now. Where you compare that, in the worst situation, in the worst drafts that Dave Gettleman had in 2018, 2019, with Pat Shermer alongside him, trying to pick some personnel with James Betcher and Mike Shula and whoever, you compare that process to Jerry Reese's process. Jeremy Davis was a backup for a few years, two years probably at most with the Chargers. Adam Biznawati was bouncing around on practice squads the year after he was drafted. And let's think of some other ones. Uh, Owa Adigizua. Didn't work out with him, right? So, obviously, you could be hindsight 2020, all these, you know, oh, first round pick, second round pick. But scouts are really supposed to come in handy third round, fourth round, fifth round, nailing those picks that you're really not supposed to nail. And with the Joe Judge process, with the Dave Gettleman process the last two years, you could say that they've nailed some picks, or at least so far they have. Darnay Holmes is a decent cornerback in the slot. Aaron Robinson, once he comes back from COVID, he's going to show us probably a lot more. He's been decent as well for a third-round pick. They really started the season on the PUP list, it was. Carter Coughlin. He's on IR right now. Showed us some good things in year one. Tay Crowder, though he's not the greatest inside linebacker, he's transitioning from the running back position and was a solid role player, better than Devontae Downs, better than David Mayo in 2020. And then you factor in Cam Brown, who's a good special teamer. So you have value from those guys. Yeah, they may not be starters on day one and stuff like that, but I find that so much better in ways than the Jerry Reese process where oh, the third round, fourth round, fifth round picks are out after one year, and they're not in the NFL anymore. That's what I think. So in terms of getting rid of these longtime scouts and those scouts complaining, who cares? They tried shaking up the process, and it's not perfect, but it's better than before. So only if they change a lot more of the front office. Joe Judge wanted Kadarius Toney, Jason Garrett wanted Andrew Thomas, so obviously that does show that a lot of these coaches that the Giants have had over the last few years have had some hands in on the personnel decisions. Jason Garrett, Andrew Thomas, probably because of his offensive scheme that he wanted to run with the passes downfield and just good blocking. Obviously that didn't work out and he had to go to the conservative offense, which really wasn't good at all. And Joe Judge wanted Kadarius Toney, I guess that would be because he's a high-character player or whatever. You know, he's, I guess, because of wide receiver. Because the wide receiver needed. That's my guess. Here's my favorite one. We'll end off with this one. The Giants said no to Russell Okung this past offseason because his agent called Chris Mara an asshole. Two things go with that. Maybe three. Soft mentality. 
and nepotism are number one and number two. Chris Mara and the beat reporters, especially the one from Giants Insider, said, oh, Chris Mara, why are you guys blaming him? It's Gettleman's team. Chris Mara's, you know, he's taking a back seat. I don't believe that. Any Mara in this organization, I really blame. John Mara is incapable of running a football team from the top. Chris Mara, I believe, is director of player personnel or something like that. I don't trust him. I don't trust the front office overall. I don't trust Kevin Abrams to go out and possibly be the GM next year. I'm going to be quite honest with you guys. But going back to the nepotism and the soft mentality, oh, just because he called you an asshole? Why? You know, it doesn't make sense. I would rather have Andrew Thomas and Russell Okung over Andrew Thomas and Nate Solder. I think anyone would. Now, if you were to say, oh, well, Russell Okung is injury concerns, this, that, and the other thing, maybe I could get on board with that. But just because his agent called you an asshole, that's restricting the Giants as an organization as a whole from getting a possible good swing tackle to help mentor Matt Parrott, to help Andrew Thomas out a little bit. Someone who actually won a Super Bowl a few years ago with the Seattle Seahawks, and he's been a part of some good teams with the Chargers, and I think he was with the Panthers last year. But with that being said, that's just a soft mentality and nepotism. And unfortunately, I don't see that going away, whether Joe Judge stays, Joe Judge goes, whatever the case may be, even with Kevin Abrams as a GM or not. Nepotism is always going to be a bad thing with the New York Giants. And can't change my mind on that. Can't change my mind on that. But if you guys haven't already, like, comment, and subscribe, turn on post notifications, so you know when a live stream pops or a video drops. Let me just increase this a little bit. I know I've been talking and you guys see this it was a little smaller before i apologize for that but with that being said guys hope you guys had a good holiday weekend hope you guys enjoy the new year's definitely we'll have a podcast episode out then we might be doing a football stream then because there's a lot of bowl games on new year's day so we might be doing a stream then um in terms of other content boys and big apple Monday, so that's going to be the last episode of 2021. Donald Stewart, I think, is going to come on again until uh, Sean gets on at 10 o'clock. And then we'll be starting on Tuesdays, starting the 18th of January, a little bit of a two-week hiatus because we are going on vacation for a few days, and it's going to last into the next week. And there's going to be definitely a best moments of Boys in the Big Apple and live streams because we've had a lot of fun this year and I've definitely seen some progression with the channel. Work isn't done though. There's a lot of be- uh, a lot of work to be done. Peace out, guys. See you later. Stay cool. Let's go beat the fucking Eagles. Let's go Giants.